This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So we know that the first base of Migdash was destroyed because of three Averos, Gilead Royos, immorality, Shrikas Dame, murder, and Avaydizara. But that didn't last very long before the second base of Migdash was built. The second base Hamikdash was destroyed because of Beit Adam Lechavero, because of how we treat one another, and that base Hamikdash has not been rebuilt, and it's been over two thousand years. So, this past week, actually last week, I was speaking to a friend, and I I told him. That, you know, next week, Tisha B'Av, if Mashiach's not here, I'd like to wish you a meaningful fast. That's a new wish. When I was growing up, there was no such thing as wishing someone a meaningful fast. You always wish someone that they should have an easy fast. But it changed in our generation. Because everyone's very busy with everybody else's ruchnius, everyone else's spirituality. And instead of wishing everyone they should have an easy fast, we're now, no, easy fast, you shouldn't have an easy fast, you should suffer. And you should have a headache, and you should feel miserable, because it should be a meaningful fast. So, this person turned to me and said, Rabbi Wallerstein, I'm surprised at you. Why are you wishing me a meaningful fast, not a easy fast? I said, I don't know, today that's the thing to say, you know. If you say easy fast, they look at you like you said something wrong. And he said to me, that's why the base of Migdash isn't built. When it comes to someone else, it should be an easy fast. When it comes to you, it should be a meaningful fast. Don't walk around telling everyone else that they should suffer during their fast. He says, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as telling someone else to have a meaningful fast. So, I think Hashem wants it. I, I think that's what Hashem wants, the Benom Chavero. But the rest of the fast should be an easy fast. And Mashiach should come. Meaningful fast, it's up to each individual to make themselves have a meaningful fast. It doesn't mean having a headache. And it doesn't mean being nauseous. That's not a meaningful fast. Meaningful fast, it brings down that a person who has a tightness, who has a fast, but doesn't change anything. Doesn't shed a tear. They're just fasting and going about their life. You know, chatzais, we put the chairs back up. And, and I remember many years ago, there was a very big baseball game on Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av had come out on Sunday. And some of the boys told me, it's fantastic that Tishbev came out on Sunday. I said, why? It's because after Chatzayis, we can get rid of three hours by watching the Yankees. It means you missed the whole, the whole idea of what, what Tishbev and what a fast is. So a meaningful fast does not mean suffering. A meaningful fast means that something today you take on yourself to change, to bring Mashiach a little bit closer. So the meaningful fast, I can't wish you. The meaningful fast, you have to do on your own. I was once um, with a young boy. He went to a big tzaddik for a bracha. 
And the tzaddik said, what bracha would you like? And he said, I want a bracha to be a big tamachacham. And this gadol said, I can't give you such a bracha. To be a big tamachacham, you got to work. It's not a bracha, it's work. So I give you a bracha, you should have strength, and you should be healthy, and you should have a clear head, so that you should be able to learn. But to be a tamachacham, that's work. So to have a meaningful fast, that's not for my bracha to give you, that's for you to do. So today, I want to talk a little bit about Ben Alma Chavero. And we'll see in a medrash that the Ben Alma Chavero, in the end, is what saved Klai Yisrael from being destroyed totally. It's a medrash in Eicha, which about Rachel Imeinu, which we'll, we'll learn a little bit later on. So I heard this morning a story set over by Rebetzin Kamenovich, and she said that there was a girl in Israel that was burnt in a fire and her face was very badly burnt and there were terrible, terrible scars from this burn over, all over her face and they were bringing her to America to go to the best plastic surgeons to try to redo her face but she had to go to school so I guess they applied to go to one of Rebbitz and Kamenovich's. I don't know if it's the school now or Beisakov or Borough Park. And they were told that, that her face is very grotesque. And they need to prepare the class before she walks in. So the teacher got up, maybe the Rebbitzin got up, and first day of class before this girl came and had a long meeting with all the girls in the class and said, listen, there's going to be a girl that's going to walk in here. Her face is grotesque. Don't stare at her. Of course, don't say anything to her. But whatever you do, don't stare at her. She's very, very sensitive. So the class was prepared. Actually, they weren't really prepared for what they saw when she walked in the room. But they were very sensitive and they treated her like any other girl in the class and didn't stare at her. And one day, she got into a fight, a disagreement with another girl in the class. And I guess it was a young kid. It wasn't a high school. It was maybe elementary school. I'm not sure. But this girl who was fighting with the girl with the burn turned to her and said, your face is so grotesque. You don't even look human. And this girl went home and laid on her bed and began to cry because she knew what everybody was thinking but now this girl had verbalized it and of course her mother went crazy how could someone do this to my daughter we're going to go to school we're going to go to the principal we're going to go to the teachers and we're going to have this girl who said this removed from the school so they got dressed and they're ready to go to school and the girl's grandmother called just to see what's going on and the girl's mother told her mother what had happened in school so she said don't go anywhere let me come over let me, let me talk to her so the grandmother came over to the house and she told her granddaughter the following of course it's very wrong what this girl did to you But what is your gain? What are you going to gain by going to school and having her thrown out? 
Will it make you better? Will it change anything in your life? It's just revenge. It's not going to change anything. You're just going to get a girl thrown out of yeshiva. The grandmother said, I can't understand your pain. But the pain that you feel right now, use that pain to daven to Hashem. Then Hashem should send you, when you're old enough, right away, a chasam. And don't embarrass this girl and don't get her thrown out. Davin, you understand that you don't look like every other girl. It's not going to be that easy to find a chasan. But if you use this pain and you daven to Hashem, Mida Kineget Mida, Hashem will give you a beautiful, special boy. So she didn't go to school that day. She didn't go to the principal. And she never said another word about what happened. Everything coming of it says over the first boy, or very soon after she started dating, she met a very special boy who saw way past her scars. And on the way down to the chuppah, she was walking with her mother and her father, going to the chasen, walking down to the chuppah, when all of a sudden, she just jumped out of her parents' arms and ran over to her grandmother who was standing on the side and gave her a big hug and a kiss and said, Bobby, you saved my life. You've made my life. And then she continued walking down to the chuppah. It's an amazing story. It's a story about Klai Yisrael the story about us on this Tisha B'Av. The story about a nation that is so scarred that the other nations, as we say, in many of the Kinois, look at us as different, as ugly. So what do we do with this pain? Do we scream out in anger? We scream out in anger to Hashem for all the pain that we're going through. Will that anger change anything? No. It won't. But instead, we have to scream out in these times of pain and suffering to Hashem. Special tefillahs, special prayers. There are girls that need shiduchim. There are parents that need children. There are families that need shalom bias. There are so many families that need refuos, so many sick people. Camp Simcha is full this summer. Camp Hask is full. They're opening new camps. Kleistrol is suffering. There are doctors in Sloan Kettering that are commenting that the disease of cancer looks like it's a Jewish disease. There's so many Jewish people in Sloan Kettering. So in the times of pain that Kleistrol is going through, if we want a chasan, if we want our chasan, even though we're ugly, even though we're not what we're supposed to be, even though we're doing things we're not supposed to do, but we want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to take us back as His kala, we must listen to this grandmother. 
And instead of striking out in anger, it's a time to daven. It's a time to daven that we should have a chasam again. And that we should have a Kaddish Baruch Hu again like we spoke last night. Even for a moment, some type of connection. I heard another story this morning. Story in Eretz Yisrael, New Shalayim. A young child that was very, very sick. And all the doctors had given up hope that their refuos, their medicines were not working. But the parents, like any parents, did not give up hope. And they went from one person to another. Maybe there's some kind of new medicine in Europe. Maybe there's some kind of doctor in America. They went from person to person trying to find some type of medicine for their child. There's some very big people in Israel that are very connected to doctors and know all types of different medicines. And this couple kept bothering them to help them with this child. One day, the father gets a phone call from one of these people who works in the Tzibur to connect people to doctors. And the phone call says, listen, there's a doctor from America who right now is in B'nai Barak. He has to catch a plane. We just found out he was here. If you could get here in a half an hour, he has some type of idea on how to help your child. But he's mamish leaving the place that he is in a half an hour. The father said, but I'm in Yerushalayim. It's 45 minutes to an hour. I can't, I can't make it. He says, listen, this doctor has to make his plane. He will be out of there in a half hour. So the father of the child runs down the steps, runs outside, finds a taxi, says, I got to get to B'nai Barak, but I only have a half an hour. And the Israeli taxi says, impossible. Can't get you to B'nai Barak in a half an hour. He takes out 300 shekel. He says, 300 shekel says you can. And the taxi driver says, I think I might be able to do it. (laughs) So he gets into the car. And even for an Israeli driver, this taxi driver drives, sidewalk, red lights, people flying out of his way. He's got the pedal to the metal, 140 miles an hour. He's flying to B'nai Brak. And they finally get to B'nai Brak and they drive up to the address. And he runs up the stairs. And there's a bunch of people in the apartment and he breaks down the door. And he says, where's the doctor? Where's the doctor for my child? And they look at him and they say, Oy vey. He just left. And he's panting and he's breathing hard. What do you mean he just left? It took you 36 minutes to get here. He's already on his way to the airport. And this broken man, after paying 300 shekel just to get to B'nai Barak, breathing hard, sits down at the chair, and they say, we're really, really sorry. Can we give you a glass of water? You look like you need a glass of water. And he says, okay. And they give him the glass of water. And he looks up to Shemayim. 
He says, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, Shehakal Nia Bedvoro. He takes a drink of the water, and he looks up again, and he says, Shehakal Nia Bedvoro. Everything is according to your words. I don't need no doctor. You are the doctor of all doctors. I don't have to make myself crazy. If you want my child to be healed, there'll be a medicine found that will heal him. And he gets back into the car and he goes back to Yerushalayim. The end of the story is that after a month of nothing working, there was a new trial medicine that had come out by an Israeli drug company and the mice had saved the child's life. So he said over the story in Eretz Yisrael many places. And one wise guy got up and said, well, if a shahakal Nebedvoro could heal your child, why did you have to spend $300 to go to B'nai Brak? You could have made a shahakal Nebedvoro in Yerushalayim and saved $300. And he said, that shahakal Nebedvoro that I made, I couldn't make in Yerushalayim. That desperation, that moment of realizing that the true doctor in the world and the true therapist in the world and the true shatchen in the world is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I didn't realize that. The whole trip in the taxi, I was just focused on this doctor. But when the doctor did, wasn't able to help me, I realized that the true doctor and the true, true shatchen and the true therapist and the true shalabayas so that shahako had to cost me 300 shkalim and my heart on my racing towards B'nai Brak and this is a little bit about what I spoke about last night that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said if you just have a little bit of a tie with me if you're a little bit connected with me, then anything can happen. But if you're disconnected, if I'm not even your dessert, then nothing can happen. And that's what Tishabov is. Tishabov is a day that we don't work, we don't take showers, we're not supposed to socialize, you're not allowed to even say Shalom Aleichem to someone you haven't seen in a long time. It's a day to connect to Hashem. It's a very interesting day because we would think that Pesach by the Seder is when you connect to Hashem. But there's a saying, in the pain is the gain. And therefore, Shabbos Nachamu, the Shabbos that's coming up, is when a person realizes that from their Tishabov, they had a meaningful Tishabov. And from their Tishabov, they grew and they connected to Hashem. That's the Nechama. That's the consolation. But if Tishabov meant nothing, then this Shabbos is just a time of going to concerts and eating cholent and meat and drinking wine, and it's not a Nechama at all. 
the Nechama is not partying Shabbos Nachum or Matzah Shabbos. If that's what you do, then this Tishabov was a waste of time. The Nechama is that I reattached myself to Akash Baruch Hu on Tishabov. I changed maybe part of my dress, maybe part of my social activities, maybe part of how, how I daven to Hashem. When on Tishabov I changed, then Shabbos Nachamu is in a Chama. Otherwise, it's just the opposite. Today's um, shir, actually the whole day, is partly sponsored for a shidduch and a parnasa for a young girl, Chayirus Basima, Hashem Shigivra, Tzlacha and Bracha, also Ili Nishmas, David Ben Yosef. So, there's a very interesting medrash, and, and that's really the medrash that I want to get to because it talks about Ben Alma Chaveiro and how finally the Jews were saved. So, it's a sad medrash, as the medrash in Echa is, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Yirmiyahu to cry for Klal Yisrael. And Hashem sort of criticizes Yirmiyahu for Klal Yisrael ended up being destroyed and on his watch, so to say. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him to go to Avram Avinu and ask Avram Avinu to come cry. And the measure, it's not the measure I want to get to, the main measure I want to get to is Rachli Menu, but Avram Avinu comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he davens and he prays and he begs and doesn't work. Doesn't work. So Yitzhak Avinu gets up, he's actually called HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't work. And he says, I was on the Akedah, I was willing to give my life. Doesn't work. Yaakov Avinu gets up. I lived 21 years with Lavan. I never sinned. Doesn't work. Meshrabbeinu gets up and says, I am the shepherd of Klai Yisrael. Doesn't work. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe Rabbeinu, they all pray to Hashem that Klai Yisrael shouldn't be destroyed. None of it works. It's a very long medrash. Why it didn't work, but none of it worked. It says the medrash, Shah, after seeing that Yemiyahu, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe Rabbeinu, all weren't able to help Klai Yisrael. Ba'ayis Shah kafs to Rachel Imeinu l'fnei HaKadosh Baruch Rachel Imeinu jumped up and came in front of HaKadosh Baruch Not invited. She wasn't invited. Avram was invited. Avram, come and talk for Klai Yisrael. Yitzhak was invited. Come and talk for Klai Yisrael. Yaakov was invited. Come and talk for Klai Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu was invited. Come and talk for Klai Yisrael. Rachel Imeinu wasn't invited. But she jumped up. 
Master of the world. It is known before you. It's a very interesting measure. I just want to, before I say it, the way we're taught in school, the way, we, the way we're brought up in the religious world, sort of we have in our heads that the Avois, the whole people of the Torah, they're, they're not like us. We're, we're not like them. They're perfect and they had no Yetzirahs and they were big Tzidkaniyas and Tzadikim and they pretty much weren't human, which is a very big mistake. Because when you tell a girl you should be like Rachel Imenu, or like Sari Imenu, or like Rifki Imenu, or like Lei Imenu, she looks at you like you're strange. What, are you crazy? I, I live in, the, in 2010. <laughs> How could you be a Rachel Imenu in 2010? Impossible. They were from a different place. This Medrash dispels this. Listen to what Rachel Imenu tells Hashem. It is revealed before you. You know, Hashem, that Yaakov Avinu loved me. A very great love. He worked for me, to my father, for seven years. And when he finished those seven years, and it was time for me to marry, we knew that my father was going to do a, a switch. For my sister Leah. So we were smart. We made up a code between me and Yaakov. We made up a code so that Lavan won't be able to switch us. Now you have to understand, this is Rachli Menu talking to God one-on-one. One-on-one. She's standing in front of the Kisei cover. The Hitchalai, said Rachli Menu. Hadava Hazer. Not the way we learn that, oh, Rachli Menu, Ben Almachavero, give up myself for someone else, of course. No. Uh-uh. No, no, no. That's a fable. The Hikshalai was very hard for me. It was crazy hard for me to give up my marriage to my sister. Because I knew, we knew beforehand that love on was going to try something. And my husband Yaakov knew it. So he gave me a sign. That he would know the difference if it's me or my sister. In order that my father will not be able to make the switch. So Rachel Imenu girls. It was hard for her to do this. And she goes on and she says to Hashem. Ula Acha came when this whole thing came up. Michamti miatsmi. I had to work on myself. It wasn't automatic. I'm roughly made. Okay, you know, mitzvah ben You know, she didn't see all the Chavetz Chaim videos. 
can't just do it automatically. So she says the truth. I was a little jealous. It's my husband, to give up my husband, it was hard. me. I had to sort of comfort myself that I'm doing the right thing. And I controlled my taiva. Doesn't mean taiva to be with a man. It's my taiva to be married to Yaakov. I controlled it, Sovalti, I controlled it. And I had pity on my sister. Girls, shouldn't have been the other way around in the Medrash? Shouldn't have it said, I had pity on my sister. So I thought about it. And I controlled myself. And I didn't tell on my sister. She should have first had Rachmanus on her sister. And the Rachmanus on her sister should have caused her to think about it and to do the right thing. No, says the Medrash. The first thing you need to do to think it through. To think about it. The next thing to do, control yourself what you want. Break the you. Break the I. Then you'll have Rahmanas. Then you'll have pity on other people. If you think about it, the first reaction of the young girl with the burnt face was to go to school and get this kid kicked out. Take revenge. The grandmother said, "Uh uh-uh. Think about what you're about to do. Will it help you? Will it help her? Control your anger. And then you'll have Rachmanus. So she says to Hashem, I felt bad for my sister. She shouldn't go out and be embarrassed in the middle when they do the switch, all of a sudden they're going to see it's laying out. Yaakov's going to tell her to leave. So, I gave over to my sister. I gave her over all the secret codes that my husband had given over to me. In order that Yaakov Avinu should be fooled and he should think that Leah was Rachel. Now you have to remember, Rachel's talking to God. Goes on the Medrash, the Loyoid, and not only that, I went underneath the bed, that Yaakov was in bed with Leah the first night. I had to go underneath that bed. Because he knew Rachel's voice. So Yaakov Avinu was talking to Leah. The Hishai Sekes. Leah didn't answer. And I, from underneath the bed, answered all his questions. So that he wouldn't know the difference between my, my voice and my sister's voice. And I had such chesed with her. Bad enough, I gave her the secret code. But I had to actually be there 
actually be there in my face, so to say, when they were together so that my sister would not be embarrassed. So she turns to Hashem and she says, The Lord Kinesiba, I wasn't jealous of her. And I didn't allow her to be embarrassed. Uma'ani, what am I? said Rachli Meno to Hashem. Basabadam, off of Afer. I'm a human being, I'm dust, I'm dirt. And I wasn't jealous of my tsara. Tsara is a sister. Tsara means the second wife. She says, I wasn't jealous of my tsara. And I didn't let her go out and be embarrassed with her head down. I went actually underneath the bed. I didn't just give her the coat and walk away. I gave everything. Gave my life for my sister. And I didn't have to. So she turned to Hashem and she said, and you, a king, an everlasting king, a king that has pity. You're jealous that the Jews are serving another God? That they picked another husband? I wasn't jealous. And you are? Sheinbo Mamish? And the wife that they're picking, the Avoid the Zara, isn't even real? Veglesi Banai said, Rachimeno Chutzpah said to Hashem, and you sent into exile my children over being jealous that they're serving Oydei Kachavim, they're serving Avoid the Zara that isn't real? You're allowing them to be killed? And you're allowing their enemies to do whatever they want with them? Yeah. She got up one-on-one with God. She said, I passed the test, and you didn't? So you think that's a chutzpah, right? No, Medrashim are full. Hashem wants you to taina. Open your mouth. But you got to have a taina. You have to have what to say. Miyad Niskalgul Rachamov Shalakarish Barakhu immediately the din, the judgment that Hashem was giving to Klaisro flipped and turned into pity. For Omar and he turned to Rachel Imenu Bishvilech Rachel Ani Machsas Israelim Kaimam. Not for anyone else, but for you, Rachel Imenu. I will bring the Jews back to their place. As it says, Koramah Hashem, Kol Barama Nishma, Nehi Bechi, Tabrumim Racha Mavaka Baneha, Rachel prayed for her children, cried for her children, Manli Nachama Banecha Kienenu. And Kurzbachu promised, Vyesh Tikvalach Risach Um Hashem Vishavu Banam Ligvulam. It's an amazing, an amazing Medrash. And if you, if you read the Medrash, we don't have time, but if you read the Medrash, of Avraham Avinu's Tainas and Moshe Rabbeinu, they, they, Yisrael was makabel the Torah. Yitzchak got up and said, "Okay, that's Yitzchak. How did you not listen to me? I was willing to give up my life." Nobody could get that Kadosh Baruch Hu. But a young woman who gave up everything so that her sister should not be embarrassed. Chazal say another thing. 
which is unbelievable. And that is that Rachli Menu gave up much more than this. She knew that Yaakov Avinu kept all the mitzvahs of the Torah in Eretz Yisrael. One of the mitzvahs in the Torah is that you cannot be married to two sisters. Now that I marry two sisters, if they're both alive, you can't marry two sisters. So Rachel Imenu knew that one of them is going to die when they get to Eretz Yisrael. Because Yaakov Avinu kept all the mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael. So the minute they crossed the border into Eretz Yisrael, he could not be married to two sisters. Which one was going to die? The first one that married Yaakov Avinu married him legally. There was no problem. It's the second sister that's the problem. So she knew that if she got married second, not only is she giving up her husband to be married to Leah first, but that the minute they get to Eretz Yisrael, and Kachaya, the minute they got to Eretz Yisrael, she would die. She gave up everything so that her sister should not be embarrassed. Girls, we don't have to give up anything that our sister should not be embarrassed. But it's a, it's a generation of I, it's a generation of jealousy. It's a generation of why does she have it, I don't. Why is she married, I'm not. No one's asking you to give up your life. No one's asking you to give up your husband. Why can't we just be shalom with one another? The destruction of this Beis HaMikdash is because of Bein Adam L'Chaveira. Lashonhara, embarrassing, jealousy, these are all the things that are keeping Mashiach from coming. Every person in this room Every Jewish girl and every Jewish man has the power to stand one-on-one with Hashem. One-on-one, like Rachli Menu and Taina, and say, I was insulted, Hashem, and I didn't answer. People say things to me and do things to me, and I don't answer, and I accept it. So you are Baruch, you're much greater than me. So if the Jews are not doing what they're supposed to, and sometimes they're insulting you when they're supposed to be davening, they're, they're on their cell phones or whatever they do. But if I, if I could forgive, then you surely could forgive. So every person in this room has a kayach, has a strength of being a rachli menu. There's a famous story, I'm sure you all heard of it, about the girl who could not have children for a very, very long time. And she was told by a big tzaddik, that if a person insults you in public and you don't answer, then any wish that you wish for, Kashbokh gives you. So I don't remember exactly the story, but she was at a wedding, and there was someone from the old days in school who thought that she had slighted her, and this girl at the wedding insulted this other girl like crazy in front of everybody. And everyone was like, couldn't believe it. They were sitting there, they were watching this like by the dance floor, and everyone was like, Oh my God, how could she do this in front of everyone to her? And all of a sudden, this girl that got insulted started to jump up and down. She was laughing. 
she, she ran over to the girl who insulted her. She started hugging her. She said, what are you crazy? Get away from me. She said, no, no, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. And the whole place was like, oh, yeah, yeah. From the embarrassment, she went sugar. <laughs> she went crazy. She became pregnant that year. It's a very famous story. And she invited this girl who embarrassed her in public to the bris. Doesn't mean that a person should go around embarrassing other people in public so that they can have children. Chas v'shalom. But you see from the story this week, this medrash, medrash eicha, the koyach that every girl here has. If you can take once in a while insults from a person and not answer back, it gives you the koyach to go in front of Hashem and do things that Avraham Avinu and Yitzhak and Yaakov and Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do. Look what Rachel was able to do. Give us an amazing koyach. But first we have to think before we react. And then we have to get rid of the taiva of me. How could you do this to me? And once we remove that, it gives us a koyach to do anything. We give everyone a bracha. The Hashem Shataka give you, it takes a lot of inner strength. Because should give us all that inner strength. When you hear a speech and you say, I could do that, I could do that, everyone thinks they could do that. Until it comes to it. Think. Get rid of the I. And you'll be able to forgive that person. Do what this girl did in the story. The pain that you're going through, turn it to gain. By using that pain to Davinta Kodesh Baruch Hu. That's what Tishabov is about. We're in a lot of pain. You know, there's a, there's a kinna, it's a very sad kinna. It talks about um, they, were, they were starving, there was no food, and they were at a point where they were looking for corpses, dead bodies, to eat. It was a group of men, the Gemara talks about it. It was a group of men, and they would go out into the fields looking for dead bodies that the Romans had killed, Jews that they had killed, and they would chop up the bodies and they would eat them. It's one of the kinnas today that we're saying. And there's a very sad story there where it says that one day, so that each day another guy was sent out to find the body. So one day this guy was sent out to find the body and he looked over all the fields and he came upon a body and he looked at the body and he realized it was his father. So of course he wasn't going to eat his father. So he went ahead and he buried his father in a grave. And he came back and he told them, I looked, I looked, and I looked, but I couldn't find anyone. So they were starving. The next day, another guy went out, and he was lucky enough to find someone. So they took the body, they chopped it up. It was sitting at the Sauda, at this meal, a bunch of Jewish people eating a Jewish body. And the son that had buried his father the day before turned to this guy and said, I don't understand. I searched and searched, and I couldn't find the body. This meat is very good. Where did you find this? He said, I was very lucky. I tripped over a new grave in a field that was just just put there. And the boy realized he had just eaten his own father. It's one of the kinnas that we say today. Sounds weird. Sounds maybe not even true. But it is true. Not all the kinnas that we say today are supposed to be taken literal. How many of us don't think and the way we treat our parents so we're eating them alive. It's an expression. We're eating them alive. 
They don't know where we are. We don't treat them correctly. They cry for us at night. They cry for us during the day. How many of us cause such sorrows to our parents that they'd rather they, we'd eat their body after they're dead than eat their soul and their heart while they're alive? There's another kinna, very sad kinna today, about mothers eating their children. The famous Gemara about a woman had a baby and she used to give as much gold as the baby weighed. She used to give to the base Hamigdash. And it talks about women actually cooking up their own children and eating them. Gemara brings down a story where there were soldiers, Roman soldiers, and they came to her house and she gave them a meal and they said, how, does it, how do you have meat when all the Jews don't have meat? And she says, because I had a lot of children and today one of, the, one of the meat that you ate was one of my children and the Romans threw up and ran out and said, how could a nation fall to such a level? But the Gemara doesn't say, and we, we, don't, we don't see that this curse, even in the Holocaust, as bad as it was that mothers cooked their children that didn't happen it's also a parable the mothers who are the responsibility for the Jewish family when they bring into their houses the internet and the Facebooks and the magazines and the catalogs and the English books and the movies and they're not dressed sneistic they're not only destroying themselves, but they're actually cooking their children. No, they're not cooking them physically. Even worse, they're cooking them spiritually. Physically, how long do we live? 80, 90 years? Spiritually, it's forever. A mother who brings these things into her house might as well throw the child into a pot. You are responsible for the bias. You are responsible for the spirituality of your children. Don't bring these things into your house. It's a big responsibility. And even the Romans could not understand why Jewish people would eat their own children spiritually. We're different. We're special. We have a Torah. We have Tznius. We have mitzvahs. The Goyim wonder, why do they want to be like us? And Baruch Hashem will never be good Goyim. Forget about it. I always tell the boys, you're just not going to be a basketball player in the NBA. We're never going to be actors on stage and singers in rap music. We're not good Goyim. We're not going to look like them. No matter how we dress, they're going to look better. We're not going to sing like them. We're never going to be good Goyim. Hashem doesn't need us to be good Goyim. He's got Goyim. He needs us to be good Jews. I said many weeks ago in a shir, God doesn't need wannabes. When you want to be like someone else, Hashem doesn't need you in this world. He has the real thing. Why does he need the copy? I want to be like her. So if you want to be like her, that means you don't want to be who you are. And your fingerprint that you're different than her is not important. 
So I created you different. Everyone is different. One of the problems with this whole social network is lack of privacy. The difference between a human and an animal is that we have fingerprints. They don't. We are different. We are private. My life is my life, and your life is your life, and my life's not your life, and your life's not my life. But now the Atahari came and he created this social network where your life is everybody's life. And everyone has to see your pictures. Everyone has to see what you're eating for lunch. And everybody has to see how long ago you took a shower. And everybody has to see your new shoes. And everybody has to see exactly what you did. So your life is not your life anymore. It's everyone else's life. So then what do you need a life for? So if you want to be like someone else, Hashem doesn't need you in this world. He created you because you're special. Do you want the real thing or do you want the copy? I'm sure if I try to sell you anything that's a copy and you have the money to buy the real thing, you're not buying the real thing. There's nobody here that's going to accept, if they have a lot of money, a fake diamond for a real diamond. I want the real diamond, unless I can't afford it. So when do we get into trouble? When do we have a holocaust? When do we go through the situations that we go through? When we want to be like the Goyim. Hashem says, the Jewish nation wants to be like the Goyim? I got the Goyim, I don't need you. I need you because you're a Jewish nation. And you're different. And you have your own fingerprint. You want to be like them? I don't need you. And that's when we get into big trouble. We're different. We're special. Let's not eat the hearts of our parents out. Let's not cook our children's spirituality. We're Klai Yisrael. We end Bring us back to the old days What were the old days? The old days, the Goyim came to see our Beis HaMikdash They all wanted to be Jewish They all wanted to be close to Hashem Not Chas V'Shalom The other way around Last night we spoke about Hadar, Mashiach, Hadar, the beauty of Klai Yisrael. We are very beautiful. We are very special. I think it's time for this door of this generation to realize that. In darkness, there are two problems in a dark room. One, you don't see the other person. Two, you don't see yourself. Not only you can't see the other person, but you can't even see yourself. A nation that lives in darkness, we don't see each other. We don't see who we are. So my bracha, the Baruch Hu should give us light. He should put his R back into our lives, back into our step. He should give us the strength to get rid of the I. You know, that whole Apple world. The whole world, Apple, I was in an Apple store in Florida to, to buy something. It's like an Avoy de Zara. Lines of people. You have to make an appointment. And people are sitting there. It's a whole world. It's a whole different world. He created a world. What's the first letter of that world, everybody? I. iPod, iPad. It's all about I. It's the world of I. That's not our world. Our world is the world of you. 
our world is when Rachel Imenu can turn and say, it's all about Leah, not me. And that's what brought the Geula. She was a normal person. She had emotions. She had pain. She had jealousy. She worked it. She worked it out. We can all do that. One of the, I think one of the biggest problems of our generation is that we don't think we can do it. We don't think that we're... Even when you read the Kinnis, like last night, the boat, all the girls jumped into the ocean. This girl thought that she was in the room. She went to the other corner. And it was like, okay, they were big tzaddikim. They were very normal people. Before I leave, I just want to give you... You know, somebody last night said, Rewalstein, you spoke right at me, but I feel like that flower that's in the vase that's cut off. I want to be close to Hashem, but I don't know how. I'm not getting up in the morning and driving up to the mountains to watch the sunrise. I said, go to the beach and watch the sunrise. But how do you get close to Hashem? So I just want to tell you a short story that everyone in this room can use. And if you take this from this tish above, then you're going to have a good Shabbos Nachamu. It's so easy to do. So there's a story about a young boy. He was a newspaper delivery boy. In the old days, not now anymore, now you go to the stand and you buy the newspaper. And you got to look at all the schmutzic magazines that they're selling. They, they're, they're brilliant. The Southern is brilliant. You see all the nice Jewish people go to J and Avenue M and to newspaper. You want to buy the Yated and you want to buy the Hamodia, all good, play, you know, good magazines and, and the Mishpacha and the Bina. So what do these, what do these animals do? Right, on, right where they are, where they're selling it, they have all the filthy magazines. Haisha with the other things that... All pictures and pictures. So every kid and every Jew that wants to buy a mishpacha has to look at this, at this nuts. You can't even you can't even go to a newsstand today. But in the old days, when times were good, there was no newsstands. The way you got your newspaper was a newspaper boy. You would take a newspaper and you throw it at your door in the morning at four thirty, and you get a nickel a week. I wanted that job, but couldn't get up that early. <laughs> And it was a job that every kid won. In fact, there's a famous pitcher that became a pitcher because he was able, on the run, while his bicycle was moving, he was able to hit the front door of every house. So this was a little boy. He was eight years old. He used to deliver newspapers. He happened to have been living in the capital of the country. And every morning at 4.30 when he drove by, he drove by the castle. And sitting by the gate of the castle was the king. And every morning this little boy would deliver a paper to the king. And he would say to the king, Hey, good morning, king. I want you to know that I really love you. You're cool. Because school is great. We have a beautiful new ball field. You really know how to run a country. And every morning for years, this boy would go by. Two years he was doing this. He was already 10 years old. And he would go by and he'd deliver this newspaper. His father, this is not the important part of the story, but his father, they were poor. That's why he was a newspaper boy. His father owned a potato field. And he used to sell potatoes to the poor people very cheap. At the same time in this kingdom, there's a prime minister underneath the king who also had a potato farm. One day, he called the boy's father in. He said, listen, you're selling potatoes much too cheap. You've got to raise the prices. We'll make a monopoly. We'll sell the potatoes at the same price. 
And of course, the boy's father said, no way, the poor people won't be able to afford it. He says, I can't do that. Even though you're the prime minister, I can't do that. And the prime minister said, okay, no problem. And the next day, the prime minister spread a rumor. No one knew where it was coming from, that this boy's father was beginning and starting a rebellion against the king. So, that afternoon they came, they arrested the boy's father, and they threw him into the dungeon. The boy's father had a lot of friends. He wasn't worried, he'll get out of the dungeon. And he called his friend, the minister of agriculture, and he said, listen, you got to do me a favor. You're a minister, go to the king. I don't know why the king threw me into jail. I'm not starting any rebellion. Tell him that it's a rumor, you know me, and tell him that I'm a good guy. So the minister of agriculture said, no problem, and he went. And he came to the palace, and he came through, of course, everyone let him through, and he came to the door of the king's room, and there was sitting the prime minister. And the prime minister said, how can I help you? And he said, i got to go speak to the king. He said, why? He says, because there's a guy in jail, it's a whole long story, i got to get him out. The prime minister knew he was the one who put him into jail. He said, I'm really sorry, I would love to let you into the king's chamber, but we're going to war. And the king said that for the next three months while we prepare for war, he cannot be bothered. So the minister of agriculture comes back to the prisoner and he says, we got a problem. The king can't be bothered. We're going to war. They didn't let me in. He says, okay, don't worry. I have other people. The lawyer of the king used to play golf with the king. He was number one lawyer of the king. Was best friends with this father. And he called the lawyer and he said, do me a favor. Go to the king. You got to get me out of here. And he does the same thing. And he comes to the prime minister. And the prime minister is sitting there. He says, I got to go see the king. He says, why? There's a man in jail. He says, can't help you. We're going to war. Three months. And he comes back and he tells the father, three months. He says, three months in this dungeon, they don't feed you. I'll die of starvation. You've got to get to the king. He says, there's no way to get to the king. Next morning, little boy, now with his father in jail, drives by the king, but he doesn't give the king the old good morning. Uh, You're the best. I love you. No. He drives by, takes the paper, throws it to the king. Have a good day. And drives away. King jumps out of his chair, starts screaming, little boy, get back here. And the little boy comes back trembling. What? So what kind of good morning was that? Every day, I love you, you're the best king, you're unbelievable, and this morning it's... And he says, listen king, I know 4.30 in the morning, that's your, that's your private time. And, and my problems are not your problems. Whatever. And the king says, no, you don't understand, little boy. You're the only guy every day that comes to me and says, thank you for what I do. Everybody else, the whole day, king, we need this, king, we need that. King, you have to judge this. King, we want this. He says, you are a breath of fresh air. Every morning at 4.30, you come by and you tell me thank you. You're more important to me than anyone else that comes to me during the day. You need to be happy. What's going on in your life? And he tells the king that his father is in jail in the deepest dungeon. And the king gets up. It's early in the morning. And he goes with the kid to the dungeon. And he knocks it on the door. And the warden says, the king? The king is in jail? The king came to jail? The king never comes to jail. And the king says, I want this boy's father. And he, of course, he takes him out right away. And the, and the boy is saved. And the father is saved. The next day, the father is going to make a suda a party to thank everyone. And he invites all his friends and everybody to come to the party. He was saved from this deep, dark dungeon, not knowing who put him in that dungeon. And there they are at this big party. And in walks the minister of agriculture. And he walks over to the father and he says, how did you get out? I couldn't get to the king. He's preparing for war. How did you get out? And the father turns and he points to this little boy sitting in the corner, his face full of chocolate cake. And he says, that's my son. He got me out. 
And the minister begins to laugh. Come on, you don't want to tell me? There's someone greater than me in the kingdom. You don't want to tell me? Really, who got you out? He says, I'm telling you, my son. He says, you're a liar. And I'm not going to talk to you again unless you tell me who really got you out. And he goes, yeah, I knew he wouldn't understand. And then in walks the lawyer. And the lawyer says, tell me, the king hired a new lawyer? He's going to play golf with someone else? How did you get out? Who got you out? And he points to his son who's still eating a piece of cake in the corner and says, you see that little sniveling kid in the corner? He got me out. And the lawyer says the same thing. Liar. Tell me the truth. He could not, I'm a lawyer, a great lawyer, and I can't get you out. He got you out? I don't believe it. And nobody believed the story. And half an hour later, the king walks in. And the king turns to the little boy and says, Come up here, you. And everyone's in astonishment. Why would the kid want to talk to a little boy? And he picks him up in his hands and he gives him a fat hug and a fat kiss. And he turns around to everyone and says, In this kingdom I have truly only one friend. This little boy every day comes to me, doesn't want anything with his big smile, and says, Thank you. There is nothing in my kingdom that I won't do for this little child. And the lawyer and the minister hide their heads, realizing that the story was true. This is an amazing story, everybody. Because the little boy delivering the paper is us. Every morning when you wake up, there's a secret prayer called Moldaani, which doesn't get a lot of attention. You don't have to wash Nagelwasser. You don't have to do anything. You just have to sit in your bed and say, Moldaani lefanecha, melachai v'kayim, thank you my everlasting king, that you gave me back my soul, with love. we all believe in you. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. Hashem's name is not even in Moda'ani. You don't have to, a boy doesn't have to wear a yarmulke. You don't have to wash Nagel Vaser. You didn't wash Nagel Vaser. You didn't go to the bathroom yet. You're fresh. You just woke up. You just got your life back. Hashem, I love you. You're the best. You're the man. You're the man, you're the best. Another day, potential, life. I can save someone's life today, a little kid crossing the street. I could save my own life. I could save a shahakal like that man who got to B'nai Brach. Shahakal near Bivaro. I can make a bracha today. Oh my goodness, God, you are the best. And I love you. And a person who does that every morning when they wake up, the days that you wake up and you can't really say it because the night before was a tough one. It was your eighth date. You thought he was going to propose and instead he said, let's just be friends. This is not going to work. And your heart is broken. Well, the time that a person who wants to have a child and the test comes back that it's negative. Well, the time that someone finds out that someone in their family is sick and you just can't get up the next morning and say, Oh, you're the best. Thank you for giving me back my soul. Really, I wish you didn't. And you just can't say it because you're human. Hashem will come with his malachim and say, Khanallah, what's bothering you? Khanallah's little neshama, what's going on with you? It's crying. You're the neshama that every morning is so happy. And then Hashem is like, Hashem, I'm just one person. It's not, it's not about Mashiach. I'm just going through some stuff. 
it's not your problem right now. And Hashem is going to say, you don't understand, Khanallah, little Khanallah's neshama. I wait for you every morning. I wait for that moda'ani. And if you're not happy, I'm not happy. So tell me, what's wrong? And I'll fix it. And they'll say, is there a bigger doctor? Is there a bigger shatchen? How did this happen? How did she get healed? How did she find the shidduch? Did she go to a rebbe? Did she go to a gadol? Did she get a bracha? Did she get a kameya? Is it Kabbalah? And all the malachim are going to know, this girl has such power? Oh my gosh! Who's she connected to? And Akash Baruch is going to say, come here, Nisham Allah. We give you a big, fat hug and a kiss and it's brought down in Kabbalah. He picks up the neshama in front of everyone in Shemayim and says, this is the neshama that I wait for every morning. Not asking me for anything, not wanting anything, just being happy and thankful. And that person has the power to do more than anyone else. For the satan is the one that sits before the gate of Hashem and turns all our tfilos away. Because our tfilos are not on the level that it's supposed to be. He's the prime minister. He's the one that puts us into the dungeon. He's the one that put us into this terrible gullus, everybody, that we're in. And even our gedolim, the ministers of agriculture, the lawyers, our gedolim and our tzaddikim sometimes can't get into the king's room. But the little chayala, the little girl, who's there every morning, gets around the prime minister. If she's not happy, the king comes to her. What's bothering you? Every person in this room, your moda'ani, you want to know how to connect to Hashem? Start in the morning. It's 10 seconds. Sit on your bed and say, thank you Hashem for life. You are the greatest. You are unbelievable. You have given me my senses. You have given me the greatest present that a person can have. And that is life. Because life is potential. Just start that way and you will see you will have the power to help the Jewish nation more than all the ministers. And that was Rachli Meno. Rachli Meno had the power to stand in front of Hashem and do more than anyone else because of her Ben Adam Lachavero. So I propose today that we should have the most amazing Shabbos Nachamu because we are going to change. And this Tishavov and sitting on the floor and fasting is going to be the pain that the gain is going to come out of. And we're going to take two things this Tisha B'Av on ourselves. One, that if we're insulted and if we're hurt, we won't answer. And that we'll break the eye. We'll be able to sit before you react to someone and, and hurt them. We're going to think about what's the gain by hurting someone else's feelings or talking Russian horror about her. It's not going to get you a shidduch because you're making sure she doesn't get one. It's not going to help you. 
So number one, we're going to think about Rachel Imenu, how she gave everything up for her sister and gave her the power to keep Klai Yisrael alive. Two, we're going to think about this little boy. And we're going to start our connection with Hashem, with Moda'ani L'Kwanecha, Melechai V'Kayam. And if we do those two things, the king will come to us. We won't have to go to him. The king will come to us and take us out of this terrible gullus kolios of the whole Jewish nation and the terrible gullus that each one of us is in. A great rabbi said, Mashiach for Mashiach to come. There has there's a Mashiach Klali where they blow the shofar and Mashiach comes. But for Mashiach to come, each one of us has to have a Mashiach. When every Jew has a Moshiach within them, that's when the Moshiach for everyone will come. And we will be Zaycha to see Moshiach You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.